folks, it's time for another Planet Shivers episode. I'm just going to give you a little intro before we get to the guest. Uh, a little news that's happening. Uh, on October 17th in New York, I'll be having a show. Uh, unfortunately, this one's invite only, but um, I'll have five or six pieces in a fashion show, which is going to be very new to me. I have not been to a fashion show. But they were looking for some art for the walls, a little display. So it's exciting they chose me. Uh, I know um, the runner of the fashion show, who is um, Irma Sedeno. You could look her up in the fashion line. is called Main Couture. Uh, they got some pretty neat stuff as far as dresses go. <laughs> um, also, on November 16th, coming up next month, um, from 7 to 12 p.m. and 12 a.m. at night. It's at night. At the Steel Club, uh, they're doing a night of jazz. And I will also have um, five or six pieces there, all jazz-related. And also in this show will be um, a buddy of mine, Jose Rivera, who will be on an upcoming episode, which is a really good episode. Um, but he will also be there with some of his jazz portraiture as well. Um, tickets to that are $40 each. So you get music, you get art. And um, again, that's at the Steel Club, 700 Linden Avenue at Hellertown, PA. This weekend, I'm going to be at Mahoning Valley Speedway doing some filming, maybe talk to some drivers. I also have a really good amount of fun new like art projects coming up. And you can check all that out on uh, my Instagram, which is simply at Albert Shivers. Let's get to the guest, saxophone player, visual artist, photographer, extraordinarily deep thinker. I was very excited to get David up here from Philly to, to have this chat with me. So let's get to it. Come along quietly or not. You can have all the talent in the world and never get anywhere. Some artists make a hope. Let you bite upon it. And now, without further ado, Alright folks, welcome to yet another episode of Planet Shivers. I'm Albert Shivers. Isaac Wilson can't be here today. But I am with a buddy of mine, we go way back in music, art, and a whole bunch of other things, David Kennedy. Thanks for doing the show. Glad to have me. I'm glad you had me, Al. Uh, <clears throat> just for the listeners, I'm also known out in the world, in case you ever find me. Also known as Blacktastic, Mahogany Megatron, and for the Latinas all throughout South Central and the Caribbean, <laughs> Oh So Grande. <laughs> Glad to be here, Al. There you How go. you been, man? It's been I a mean, while. It has been a while. It's been a real long while. But um, much has transpired since then. Yeah, yeah. You got you know music. You're an artist. You know, let's let's start on the art art stuff. What have you been up to in art? Um, been up to a great deal. I've mostly been focusing on photography. 
since it seems to be the most marketable of my skills. Mm-hmm. And I've just been exploring that for the most part, but I have been venturing back to my roots and have recently begun working on a series of paintings. I told you about them a while back mm-hmm. that I've been sitting on for a few years. I'm trying to get those together. I already started one. And once I get my groove back with painting, I want to finish that up. And I'm also working on a drawing talking about our current political climate in this country. So okay. I'm trying to get back to my... I used to be, when I was in high school, my art was very, like, I don't say pop culture. It was more so, like, political and was talking about things I felt were issues in society and trying to shed light on what was, like, the, the problems with the current zeitgeist, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Um, I've been trying to market myself as a photographer professionally. I'm actually here, partially to see you, of course, but right. also I'm doing um, t- some portraits for my friend. She mm-hmm. she sells jewelry online. She has her own, I think, podcast. She does as well, and she wants some professional, you know, headshots and you know, full body portraits done. And since she knows I'm a photographer, she wanted to you know spread the love and hire me. Right. Nice. Nice. Does I mean that's it's quite the trip from Philly up here so that's cool that you got stuff going oh, while yeah, you're up here the bus being late shout out to Greyhound an hour <laughs> and a half late and it took three hours to get up here was it traffic? no my driver <laughs> decided to take every back country road he could find we were swerving the bus was leaning side to side he took the most windy through the trees over the river <laughs> in yep. the woods as roads to get up here <laughs> so what about you man what you been up to? Oh, geez. I mean, I've been doing a lot of cartoon kind of drawings, a lot of caricatures, which, like your input on this, but I've been thinking lately, like, why... I have a lot of drawings, a lot of artwork that features cartoon characters or caricatures of real people, like uh, caricatures of, of TV personalities. Yeah. Drew Carey or Ralph Crampton or The Nanny or whoever. Mm-hmm. And um, always in these like compromising positions. And um, I eventually sat back and wanted to try to figure out why I keep doing this. I feel as though I've been inadvertently recreating this loss of innocence. You know, when you're... I'm taking these cartoon characters and putting them in adult situations. Whether... And it's not only just like a sex thing. You know, I have Ralph Cramden high with Cab Calloway. Like, you know, what kind of... You know, that's crazy. But it's this weird... I don't know. I feel like somehow I've tapped in on this loss of innocence. Very poignant. Well, if we break this down psychologically speaking, mm-hmm. <laughs> we might be able to come to the conclusion that you're at the crossroad, the juxtaposition, if you will, at yes. this juncture of your life. Uh-huh. So perhaps it's a bit of a fear going forward that you're only going to get older and the things that you had growing up are going to just become further and further away. So you're trying to bring them forward in such a way. Mm-hmm. That you're melding the innocent with the profane. So you're taking cartoons that are supposed to be inherently innocent and you're mixing them with adult themes as a way, I guess, to make 
the childhood essence grow up in a way. Because I know a lot of your work is very reminiscent of like Ralph Bakshi and yeah. I forget the other guy. He made, uh, you know what I'm talking about, another one. He made like all those adult cartoons. Oh, Robert Crumb. Yes. Yeah, well, those two, those two are my dudes. Them, Howard Armstrong, who's lesser known, but um, he was. Yeah, shout out to him. He's dead, but shout out to him. Folks should, if you ever get the chance to check out a documentary called Louis Bluey. Um, Howard Armstrong, real quick was a fiddle player in the 30s and 40s. He sold his soul for a fiddle of gold against the devil himself. Just about, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, the dude played with everybody. Played with Memphis Minnie, Louis Armstrong, um, um, Kansas Joe, all the guys in that time period, both of blues and jazz. And um, in the 80s, they made a documentary on Terry Zweigoff, who was the same guy who did the Crumb documentary did a documentary called Louis Bluey. And it turns out that this guy is not only this fiddle player and mandolin player, so much so that if you could imagine a black mandolin player in the 30s being loved and adored by Italians because of how good he played mandolin. Hmm. That's that's how good he was back then. I thought Italians were cool-ish with brothers. Cool-ish, but back then... Sammy Davis used to hang with... um, Sinatra? Yeah, Sinatra and uh, DiMaggio. Not DiMaggio. Um, Dean Martin? Dean Martin, that's it. <laughs> I was going to mix them. He did. That, well, that, and that was, you know, that was um, like 20 years that. later. Yeah. Oh, that was, he's, oh, he, proceed, he precedes um, Sinatra Sammy. and Dan yeah. Davis. Okay. Yeah, those guys were like late 40s into the 50s. So he's around the time of like what, Cab Calloway more so? Or? Yeah. Okay, yeah, he's around like vaudeville and, yeah. and like, you know. The Chitlin Circuit, all exactly. that. Exactly, I was just going right. to say that, yeah. Yeah. And um, But it turns out this dude was is an amazing visual artist. Who, like, like, I'm watching this movie for the first time, my jaw's on the floor. Because, like, his style is so much like Bakshi and like Crumb. And Back in the day, he had the same, like, look of him? I'm tell- way before them, he had this very similar look. Huh. More so to Crumb than Bakshi. But very similar look. So it's crazy when you have these these artists that did things that don't fit within the paradigm of what we believe is the look of that era. Mm-hmm. Like we have in our, our minds like a certain image of like art from the forties looked like this, and it's usually like you know early black and white steamboat Willie looking cartoons, and then he does something that looks more like I guess. Chuck Jones or something, and it's like, oh damn, how'd you do that? Forty years before Chuck Jones did it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that that's what blew blew me away with Howard Armstrong is because like he was yeah you know, like look just like stuff that was that was gonna happen in the sixties and seventies, and you know he was doing it earlier than that, and he just like all these books, man, like full of art, and like he chronicled his whole life in drawings of, of like just like combination of like old photos and just things he could remember like drawing from memory from his childhood you know like being our age and even older being able to remember parts of childhood so clearly 
that you could translate it onto a, the page as art is pretty impressive. That's brilliant. Yeah. Like, that, like I don't, you know, I, I have a long way to go before I'm that good yet. So. Hey, once in a while I try, and then I look at it and go, it looks like a child drew this, and I just <laughs> throw it in the trash because I can't stand it. <laughs> yeah, I, I burn things, burn art. I, I think about burning it. art. See, this is why we're cool. Yeah. <laughs> My father has a fireplace in his house, and I, one time I was visiting there, and it was the winter, so the fire was going, and I purposely brought this like little stack of art <laughs> that I couldn't stand anymore, because it's art like that I have unfinished in a folder, yeah. that I don't hate it, but I don't like it right now, mm-hmm. and maybe I'll go back to it. But there's other ones that I'm like, nope, and I, it's so much, it's so like freeing, how do we get on fire now? I got distracted by that whole thing. We got there talking about uh, art. We were talking about uh, Ralph Bakshi and then. Oh, we burning art. Okay, yeah. so yeah, yeah. So you you mentioned that um, that you're working on. You started back up on a series about our political climate. You want to talk a little more about that? Well, it's kind of two different, I guess, series. I have one that is already a series in my mind. The other one is just kind of like a one-off drawing. Mm-hmm. So, the series I'm currently working on actually was inspired in college. Okay. It was like my junior year. And I was a part of several clubs mm-hmm. on campus. I was a part. I was the secretary for the East Strasburg University Art Association. But I was also a part of at the time, because they changed their name, at the time it was called Double ASA, the African American Student Alliance. Mm-hmm. They have since changed their name to the Black Student Union to make it a little bit more, you know, have some more oomph behind it. <laughs> but I was trying to think of ways to boost the Art Association's presence on campus because since our meetings are held in the art building, and the art building is put way up on a hill by itself, which discourages anyone to ever come the hell up there. Mm-hmm. Thank you, architects, architects who designed the fucking campus. Um, we didn't really get involved. So I wanted to get us involved, and I was talking. I knew the president of the AASA, and it was about, it was February, so I was thinking, let's do something for Black History Month. So I came up with this idea of taking portraits of famous black historical figures and melding their likeness with the elements of West African like mask design mm-hmm. so certain elements of those of that style of art is very exaggerated features like you know large eyes or small eyes big ears stretched out faces like they tend to elongate or widen features and make it more exaggerated and I actually found a few masks just through Google that kind of fit with certain people naturally mm-hmm. and I just kind of did some sketches of that and I thought it was pretty decent, but years of just life kind of got in the way. I tend to suffer from depression a lot, especially around this time of year in fall. I have to be very careful and very aware so I don't mm. dive into that. Because right. once I get to that space, I can't really create. People mm-hmm. always try to romanticize it and say, well, you should use your pain and put it into your work. Yeah. And that sounds very good. It sounds very beatnikish. Like I'll just be smoking a damn cigarette on that long ass stick and like, <laughs> you know, putting all my angst on the page, but more often than not, it just stops you from being able to create. So years of me going through that, I finally have gotten to a space where 
I have it more or less together. And I was purposely immersing myself with other artists online to keep myself engaged. And I was able to get back into it. And now I'm working on a painting of Malcolm X. I figured I'd start with him since I dig his philosophy. I, I, nothing against Martin Luther King. I love the brother. He did wonderful things for my people. But I always feel like with, with Malcolm, just given the way things are now, it seems like that more strong arm approach just makes more sense to me than trying to be gentle and, and, and do it very subtly. So I'm working on that. The only problem is I haven't painted in years. So I'm rusty. So I'm trying to create something new and exciting from my imagination, but then also execute it with tools that are rusted and chipped and I'm trying to get myself back into the groove. So that's the one series. I'm hoping I can finish up the one painting and keep it going. Mm -hmm. And not just even do uh, old historical figures because uh, because there's only so many times you can read a drawing of Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman. If you want to engage people in a more dynamic way, you have to give them people that they know. Like the one brother I could do currently would be Nipsey Hussle. He's mm -hmm. a brother that, that recently died. I don't know if people know about him. He's a rapper. And he was killed uh, earlier this year. And he was doing a lot of social reform for his community. I think he was in Los Angeles, like Compton specifically. Mm. So he was trying to reform the hood and he was trying to work in a more like civil rights engagement um, capacity. And then once he died, everybody was saying, oh no, he did all these amazing things. I'm like, damn, I wish I would have known about him sooner. Yeah. While he was living, yeah. Same with Pac, but in that case, I was I was a young boy when Pop died. I was mm -hmm. like four, five. Like he died in like what ninety seven, ninety six. Yeah, yeah. It's like I could do that, but I don't want to be cliche because everybody and their mom does pictures of rappers. Yeah, like it's always Pac, Biggie, Nipsey Hussle, um, Jay Z. Mm -hmm. They might do J Cole and Kendrick. And I don't want to just fall in line with like a, a black art cliche because there's certain cliches of black artists that a lot of them do mm -hmm. that I want to stand out against. You should do a, um, and it, it's the worst thing in the world to tell an artist who to draw. So I know that before, but um, you should do a Dick Gregory. That'd be a good one. That actually would. I can see him as a griot. Yeah. And he's somebody Sometime. that I know you admired. Greatly, like you yeah, oh, a few yeah. times, and yep. you gave him some of your work. Yeah, I mean, he's one of your heroes. I would dare to say he. I, I one of the times I gave him work, he gave it back to me. He didn't like it. No, he liked it, but he. I gave it to him, and I'll show you the piece after we're done recording. Um, he liked it, but he's like, I feel like you better for you to hold on to this and keep it. And he told me that an artist. Every artist looks at the world through their own set of goggles. Mm -hmm. And his message to me was to never take those goggles off. Because we, as you know, two artists sitting here, we each have our own way of looking at the world that's unique, as every artist does. Word. And our input may be, our unique input as an artist whoever the artist is, may be something beneficial.
to either one other person or thousands of other people. Exactly. So to just never stop, never, never take those goggles off. That was like amazing advice, you it's know. And, and he knew exact, uh, he knew exactly what to say to me. And um, yeah, he was a really cool dude. So as, see, as a mask, he's somebody that, that inspired you then. Oh yeah. But yeah, no. I, uh, who were some other um, figures that you were thinking of doing for this series? Mm. Marcus Garvey, for one, of course. Frederick Douglass, Rosa okay. Parks. I'm trying to think of more sisters because it's easy for me to find brothers. What about um, Angela Davis? I could do her. Nina Simone, of course. That's, yeah, that's my girl right there. I love, <laughs> I love her voice. I love it. Um. Okay, let's pause for a second here on Nina Simone. Alright. Um, did you see or hear about the movie that the Nina Simone movie with Zoe Saldana? I heard about it and I don't think that was a good casting. No. I didn't watch it myself. That's not okay. throw it out there, but people were mostly upset over the fact that there are a lot of actresses that have like a higher concentration of melanin they could have chose. Mm-hmm. But they chose Zoe Saldana, and they figured one, it was for her star power because she's a known name. Right. And two, they figured she would be a face that they would want to see more because since she's like, I think she's half Latina. Yeah. That that plays into like the Hollywood prejudice mm-hmm. of like, oh, you have to be mixed or like not or have like subdued. West African features in order to be deemed as like marketable to like a wide audience. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, your movies are only going to be for black people. Because they could have gotten even, they could have gotten Uzumaka Aduba. I think that's her last name. She's the woman that plays Crazy Eyes on Orange is the New Black. Okay. They could have gotten her. They could have gotten a host of a lot of other sisters. I can't think of me right now. I know I'm. Um, Viola Davis, possibly, mm-hmm. could have been one. I don't know if she can sing, though. That's the only thing. Yeah. I also know that um, Zoe Saldana was the executive producer of the movie. Cast herself. That makes sense. <laughs> so, and, and and she was able to sing. I've seen the movie. Well, how was it? Was, was um, she at least, did she do justice to her character? Here's, my overview of it is this. I watched it just because I wanted to, I, I needed to see. I'd heard, I read all the hype. I read all the def- the things defending Zoe Saldana. Mm-hmm. I read all the things deprecating her. Yeah. I wanted to see for myself. And the movie like was supposed to be theatrically released, but it never did. Went straight to DVD. Yeah, I was wondering. I didn't see any commercial Walmart, or $5. Boom. Shit. So um, I seen it and picked it up, saying like, okay, here we go. Here's what I have to say. I, you could see that Saldana put a lot of work in to doing Nina Simone. You could definitely see that she put a lot of work in. She did a good job. And when you see her alone in the movie, you're like, oh, well, the makeup and prosthetic nose, <laughs> it doesn't look yeah, it doesn't look too bad. The moment she's standing next to an actual brown-skinned person, you're like, oh. <laughs> Like that, like it's when she's next to another person, you can say, "Oh my God, <laughs> it doesn't look good." Especially like on a big TV HD and the whole thing. So like, 
So she has no undertones, just like straight brown the way he made her? Like the coloring didn't seem natural? It didn't. Next to a naturally dark-skinned person, it did not. She probably didn't have any undertone. Anybody yeah. thinks, you know, when you're black, that it's just like brown. I'm like, no, we have undertones too. Usually red. Um, I know some people in the motherland, they tend to have like blue because they're like a lot darker. Right. So they probably just use like paint. You know, when you were a kid, you tried to paint somebody brown and it just yeah. looks like chocolate. Right. And there's no subtlety to the color. Yeah. They probably did it like that. They probably like painted her in chocolate and it was like, well, I mean, she, she's like mud brown, but there's no like right. transparency in the skin tone. There's no right. differences at all. It's all just like the same shade. Yeah. It was kind of rough. But she at least put effort, right? She, like, yeah. She I, didn't phone it in? She did not phone it in. How about the singing? Or they just, like, overdub her voice? The singing, I mean, it's Zoe Saldana's voice. She sings well. She doesn't sing like Nina Simone. Like, Nina Simone, The what I feel is the, the beauty in her voice comes out of her not being a singer. She wasn't a singer? Well, she became a singer but she didn't like start off that way Mm. like her path was all piano based Mm. and she her goal as she grew up was to be a concert pianist Mm. and she eventually needed money she's out on her own she started working nightclubs Mm. and Nina Simone isn't like even that was a, a stage name for her huh um, her real name is Eunice Wyman. That's why she changed it. <laughs> <laughs> so she developed a stage name and only played piano. And eventually the club owner was like, "Like you got to sing if you're going to keep this job. So she started doing like the religious songs she knew and like jazzing them up a little. Then she eventually started to learn traditional songs and just old-timey folk tunes and songs that were known and then started writing her own tunes. Well, you just taught me something today, Al. Eunice Wyman. Yeah. The I believe that. I believe... The sexiest name I ever heard. <laughs> and her brother is a, a composer, too. He did film scores and played in our bands. I just want to know if the movie was more like... Because, like, to me, a good movie that portrays like a singer would be like Ray. Yeah. And a bad one would be Bird. Okay. Because I don't know if you ever, I didn't see Bird. I just know from the bits I did see, I didn't like it just because they didn't. Just a subtle detail. I'm a sax player. So I can tell, like, when Forrest Whitaker was playing and Charlie Parker. Charlie Parker, when he played really fast and wild, he didn't move his fingers a lot. Like, a lot of us, we put to make our fingers lift real high and, like, go, go really sporadic. Mm hmm. Charlie Parker's cool thing was he always sat real relaxed and looked so calm, but when you heard him play, it was all over the place. Right. So to me, that was an important detail he didn't do. When mm-hmm. you watch his hands, of course, Forrest Whitaker doesn't play the sax. Right. And probably doesn't even know this little detail about Charlie Parker as a sax player. But he's just thinking, okay, he plays fast, move my fingers really fast and sporadic, and that's not how he did it. Mm-hmm. So at that point... That's like doing a movie about Stevie Wonder and not giving the head sway. It's, it's, a, it's a thing you have to <laughs> exactly. do. Exactly. It has to be there. That's a good example. <laughs> um, one thing I will say about the Nina Simone movie is a, a, a secret little highlight is uh, Mike Epps is in it. Huh. And he plays Richard Pryor. 
<laughs> it's scary how good he is. You no, know was brilliant at doing an accent, doing like the impression of Richard Eddie Griffin. Uh, okay, I haven't seen him do it. But, uh, There's a scene in the old show from the '90s, Malcolm and Eddie, in like one of the first few episodes, where he does it, and he did it so fucking spot on. <laughs> I thought they like put like a dub because he's like fucking around with Malcolm Jamal Warner in a scene where they're playing like a game of chess, right? To see if Eddie gives them like they won a lottery. So, like, Eddie wanted to, like, buy this bar, and not Eddie, um, Malcolm wanted to buy the bar, and Eddie's like, well, I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. So, Eddie was like, look, if you beat me in this game of chess, because he tried to stipulate who, who gets the money. It was like, I get you the dollar, get the ticket, but I put the numbers, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, he said, you beat me, you can get, I'll, you'll get the money. And there's a scene where like, he's, he has, like, a good move, and he does, like, an impression of him, like, ding dong, the witch is dead, and it, it sounds so <laughs> fucking spot on. <laughs> Like, right. He, he does a good one with him and a pretty good one with Sam Davis Jr. Okay. Everybody does the same thing. They go, yeah, babe. It was like the same little like bit with him, mm-hmm. like, but it's spot on that. And even, even Michael Jackson. Oh yeah. But most we can dance like him. Like he really, his mom was like, yeah, yeah. He took lessons. Like he can actually do like the little the kicking, the hoo hoo, and all that. Like my Malcolm, like my Eddie Griffin can actually do the whole dance routine, mm-hmm. and he does it frequently in his stand up. So. Mm-hmm. That that threw me off. I was like, when someone does the impression, it's scarily good, right? And you're just like, wait, is, is that them or is that like a recording? Because mm-hmm. it sounds too damn on point, right? <laughs> you know, what interesting cameo I saw in a movie recently. I was watching the movie Thurgood, mm-hmm. and I saw to quote Dave Chappelle, "Juicy Smoothie." He was <laughs> playing a young um, Langston Hughes. Mm-hmm. And it was weird how he played him. He played him almost like Langston was like an asshole kind of, but like a smooth asshole at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like when we're trying to run some game, we just like, bitch be gone, whatever. Like he seemed like a little bit sadity, but at the same time like refined and like dignified. And I don't really know how Langston was as a person, but I just thought it was interesting that he's portraying him. I'm like, that's kind of cool. He's like almost like a smooth kind of pimp dude. Mm-hmm. You know, like the only time I ever saw Juicy Smoothie do something besides play on Empire. Right. And you know, his acting moment when he was out in the street of Chicago and was saying that <laughs> he was assaulted by Nigerians. Yeah. But, and I wanted to believe him too, because I was like, he wouldn't lie. America is a racist ass country. I, I believe that shit. Word. But then the story got shakier and shakier. Like, so you mean to tell me, as a man with money, you decide to not, not drive, not call Uber, but to walk in negative 10 degrees in Chicago? At one o'clock in the morning, you get a sandwich. Really? No, you couldn't have done Postmates, DoorDash. You don't think that that, that nine dollar delivery fee is you a problem? Craft service. <laughs> Fucking real. Like, you don't have groceries. You don't have groceries. You don't have bread, meat, mayonnaise, cheese, and in your home, you have no food. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned Chappelle. I feel like we gotta talk about Chappelle though. That's my man. Because he's really. I'm telling every every special every one of these like these last chunk of specials. He makes it a point to fuck with people. Like yeah, he's at a, he's at a point in his career where he can't be touched, so he's in a spe- he's a special piece of freedom where he can create. Right. Because like we artists, we have a certain point in our career where we have to play to the crowd to please them in a sense, so that we're not alienated. And that people want to buy our work and hire us and deal with us, right? Because our views aren't considered to be aren't considered too inflammatory. But he's already passed that stage decades ago. 
So now he can just say what he what's on his damn mind. And he can't be touched. He can't be fired. He can't nothing. Because even if Netflix says, all right, we're done with you, he'll just go on the road, do some shows like he's been doing. He has money in his pocket already. Right. He's pretty much doing stand-up because he wants to, not because he has to. Right. And I love the fact that we get to watch this man have complete carte blanche to do and say whatever. Mm-hmm. And not have to worry about, oh, the people want to, like, you know, crucify me. He's like, I don't care. Fuck them. Like, right. And he's just going in. And, like, he has Gong Fu. Because Gong Fu is not simply fighting. Gong Fu is just the mastery of an art. Mm-hmm. So, like, the painter who spends hours perfecting his craft has Gong Fu. The, the mason yeah. who builds beautiful buildings has Gong Fu. Mm-hmm. And the comedian who has spent decades honing his craft... So much so that he can just challenge himself and say, all right, I'll just take a hat and just pull out random shit mm-hmm. and just make a joke off of that one word. Watch. Here's the punchline. I'll get back to that. Talks about whatever else. And then at the last minute, oh, yeah, circles back. Boom, takes the landing. Mm-hmm. Like at that point, he's almost like a like a, like a later version of John Coltrane. We started getting avant-garde. Yeah. We started just trying to play with music. And so he basically deconstructed it, fucked up all the, the, the melody, and made it as like complex and like giant steps-esque as possible. Right. And made it to a point where it's like, the shit, you don't know how he did it, but he did it. And it's amazing to watch yeah. him do it. <laughs> Instead of saying, well, everybody plays swing, and they're just all doing the same. Instead of doing the typical whatever, right. he's like, eh, nah, remix. Right. And chopped and screwed the whole thing. At this point, he's just polishing his own skill. Like my man is, is as sharp as they can be. I don't think I don't, I don't like to say that anything has an apex, but if there is one, he's reached it. And also about why he's necessary. It's like he came up in a certain era. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if you you like think about it. You probably have seen this too, where in the early alts from like. Right. 2000 that's like maybe 07 or 09 comedy especially was about their version of equality is everybody can get it there are no picks I know Carlos Mencia was a huge proponent of this and put aside you know he's a joke thief and he's unoriginal whatever whatever but his philosophy was I'm not pulling any punches I'm not going to make jokes and then say, well, I can't talk about this, 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 this. Like, he didn't believe in the censorship. Mm-hmm. Same with Dave Chappelle. Like, he had even, like, his law sketches where, like, he made fun of every ethnicity. Asian, white, black, Latino, he didn't care. And he felt like if everybody gets slapped, then it's an equal across the board. I'm not going to slap one or two and the rest of them like, well, I can't, I can't do it to you. I wouldn't be nice. He's like, mm-hmm. no, fuck that. <laughs> so that's why now... Where it seems as though the pendulum has swung the opposite direction. Where instead of everyone can get it, it's like no one can get it except for those whom we feel as though deserve the slap. Right. He's like, who the fuck are we to say they don't deserve a slap too? Like, right. say, hey, buddy, fuck them. Like, mm-hmm. So he's coming at it like that. But because he's in a position where he really can't face any backlash that's going to truly hurt him, he can just do what he wants. He's, he's a free agent. He's a ronin. Yeah. He doesn't have a master. He doesn't have a network up his ass anymore. He doesn't have a director up his ass. He doesn't have a producer. He runs the show. Right. Like, he's the one that has the ability to do as he sees fit. Mm-hmm. He's the captain of his own ship. 
and that's fucking brilliant. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able to just make what I want and it's lucrative. It's one thing to make to do what you want and it doesn't go anywhere. It's like, yeah, I can make art about whatever and no one sees it because no one cares. But he's right. able to reach a large swath of people and they appreciate what he has to say. And he can do so unabridged, unhindered, mm-hmm. just completely flow. And that's like what I liked about certain artists that like influenced me. Like I like the certain artists I I would watch growing up and I say I want I like what they're doing there. I like the fact that they can just kinda like go against the grain and just do them. Who are some of those artists? Um well, to talk about traditional art, it gets a little hard because I tended to like the the typical ones anyone loves, like the Renaissance masters like Da Vinci, Michelangelo. Mm-hmm. But I remember I, I took art history in college they expanded what I liked about the artists like I like Caravaggio mm. not only because Caravaggio had, had like he pioneered a, a certain style of um, where he uh, did he pioneer it? I knew he was like a lot of Kiddo Skirdo where he had like the light and the shadow working together mm-hmm. I forget is, is Kiddo Skirdo when the light comes in from one side or is that tenebrism but the fact that like as a person he was just like this kind of badass swashbuckling ass dude who was like <laughs> Imagine if Jack Sparrow was a painter. That was Caravaggio. Like, he would just come in, seduce a woman, commit a little crime here and there, have to go hide, paint for the Pope, and then bounce off. Like, and I think he died from, like, syphilis or some shit. Like, he really just was, like, out there. I'm not saying that's how I want to go out. I'm not saying that's who I am as a person. But the fact that he was like that and was, and was just kind of doing his own thing, I'm like, that's kind of neat. Van Gogh. Vincent Van Gogh because just his technical skill and in fact his work was again it was like unique and it was different than a lot of his peers like I, I tend to like artists that stood out mm-hmm. I mean I once liked Picasso but I don't I don't really much care for cubism I like his blue period because it's more representational that appeals more to my sensibilities like mm-hmm. stuff like Guernica it just looks like random kind of like offbeat kooky 90s cartoonist doodles to me like mm-hmm. I can't really get down with it too much mm-hmm. um, but I was also influenced by people who weren't artists do you find that does music at all influence your visual art yeah I want to say so like I like the virtuosity of um, of Bird Charlie mm-hmm. Parker and I like the creativity of John Coltrane like I tried to oh and of course Andre 3000 okay Andre 3000 is a big one one because he he was current in our childhoods yeah like he wasn't like some boy that like my grandpa listened to he was like now mm-hmm. and the fact that at the time when Andre 3000 became big him and Big Boy but more so him Big Boy just kind of fits more with like you know the current the, the climate of the time Andre was out there Andre was a brother in the early aughts <laughs> My man's rocking a perm. He's wearing crazy (laughs) outfits. He's doing songs about themes and styles that were not typical. Most rap of that time was gangster rap. It was all about fucking women with fat asses, getting money, doing drugs, and killing people who want to try you on the street. And he's making songs called Hey Ya and Miss Jackson and random random just shit that meant something to him. Mm -hmm. And then he surprised me. 
with him and Big Boy did Idlewild. Idlewild is one of my favorite movies. Right? Is that not it's, a great movie? And I'm pissed they don't fucking show it on TV. I have to like order it on YouTube or something to watch it. Like, mm. and it's and he, he delved into jazz with it. I didn't like to do that. I didn't know that Andre had the chops for jazz. My man's playing stride piano and he's doing all kinds of like in the movies playing like the piano for real. Uh-huh. And the soundtrack is amazing. He perfectly mixed like swing jazz from like the 30s and 40s with hip hop. And then he yeah. put on Janelle Monae on one of the tracks too. And I love Janelle Monae. Like her whole style, her whole vibe. I dig that. Like In Idlewild? Yeah. On, on, she's not in the movie. She's in the, on the soundtrack. Oh, okay, okay, okay. The soundtrack is called Idlewild. So there's a song called um, I was like Get You In Your Dream or something like that. And she's singing the hook for it. <clears throat> wow. So that so now And uh, Call of Law. She did she was on Call of Law, that that song too. So now that would have been very like early in her, her career, no? Yeah, I think that's before she did Wonderland Records. That was like she was a feature, so that might have been like when she first got started before she had her own sing, um, gotcha. single. Gotcha. Well, I did not know that. But Andre was my boy. Then he made that show Clash of 3000. Mm-hmm. And the art style of that blew me away. Now, I know he wasn't the artist, but he was like the, the creator and the producer and all that. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure he had a lot of creative influence because Andre tended to, he, was, he, he walked to the beat of his own drum. And I feel like that's how, how I want to be, how I've always been, is the bull that walks to his own rhythm. I don't have to be a follower. I don't want to be a sheep. I want to be a ram. I want to be the head sheep. I want to be my own thing. And the way he dresses, dressed, the way he talked, like the fact that he, he was walking around wearing like a straw pork pie hat <laughs> in Georgia, down in Atlanta. Brothers are wearing like snapbacks and big ass chains and sagging their pants and he's coming in wearing suspenders and spats and dress shoes and like a, like a necktie and, and, and a pork pie hat. Mm-hmm. But then he'll still sound gangster. Like, what did he do with Shawty? Like, he, he still had, like, a street persona mixed with this, like, kind of dapper Dan thing he had going. And I dug that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, that shit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what influenced me a little bit to, like, the way I dress. I mean, albeit I don't dress that outlandish, but I, I have certain times I have like, a big ass. I love hats because of that. Because of him. Right. Like, my love of hats started with him and... Like certain movies were like the cool, the best cool boy had the hat on. I feel like a hat was just like a, it was like like the final dotting of the eye of like your style, and I loved that about him. And that his music was so different. That and then when he did the jazz thing, I'm like, okay, he does jazz too. So like, I dig that even more. He's one of the main influences of my art. Where like, I like, I want to do something different. Mm-hmm. So whenever I make something, I try to think to myself, like, how can I do this in a way that's genuine to me but it's also interesting to look at I can do something crazy and like it just looks crazy but I can do something crazy and it's like oh damn that's cool and every so often I can achieve that and I'm like yes that's what I wanted (laughs) but at this moment I haven't yet mastered doing it on command that's what I'm trying to get better at what do you mean by doing it on command like being able to make something that's visually intriguing but at the same time is purposeful because there's sometimes I do things in my art that people like but it wasn't something I intended to do it just kind of happened mm-hmm. it wasn't like okay here's my plan it just I kind of just sat down and just made something 
right. and just the way it went. Usually it'd be like a mistake happened, and I just kind of put the Bob Ross in it and just said, "Oh, no mistakes. It's only happy accidents." And just kind of <laughs> like reworked it. He's another one. I just rediscovered him recently. Like, like somebody well, came back. I don't know what what it was. They brought him back for real. Yeah, my mother took a class from him. Really? Yeah. Took a painting class here. Wait there for a second. I'll show you the painting on air. Tired of having headache pain, nausea, heartburn, indigestion, upset stomach, diarrhea? Try new Pepto-Bismol chewables. Made in grape, peanut butter, and cherry flavor for the family and kids alike. For those listening, I'm gazing upon a painting by Albert Shiver's mother. It's a peaceful, serene scene full of happy little trees and... Uh, <laughs> Beautiful mountaintops just, just ever so gently caressing the, the clouds in the sky. Oh, look at there, and you can see over in the corner, a little bit of sunshine is poking out. <laughs> just gotta take our brush and be the devil real quick, and there's back to paint. <laughs> <laughs> so she made this. Yeah. From Bob Ross, like he said, like, he had a class where he had to, she had to go in there and sit down and... And paint, yeah. Like, it was a big group. And she has a lot of, like, um, encosto on here, too. Yeah. Did she use, like, a palette knife, or this was just, like, a thick application from I, the brush? I know very little about that painting, unfortunately. You can actually feel it, like, yeah. only on um, the pine trees. This is brilliant. You know, she used to draw me little characters when I was a kid. Vegetables with faces and hands. So she invented VeggieTales? Oh, she shit. may have invented VeggieTales. <laughs> you getting residuals off of that? No, <laughs> no residuals, and she wasn't a, she wasn't really religious, so it's weird. She just cashed in on VeggieTales. Yo, I swear that the government taps our phones for creative ideas because I distinctly remember as a kid, mm -hmm. I used to. Um, I used to submit work to remember the PBS, um, no, WHYY. Young Writers and Illustrated Contest from Green Rainbow. Yes. I used to submit work to that like every year for like maybe since I was in like kindergarten to like maybe third or fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And one year, I made a story about a, about a group of people that go in the ocean, discover Atlantis, meet the king, have to stop the bad guy, save the day. I'm like eight years old when I made this shit. Mm -hmm. The next fucking year, Disney comes out of Atlantis Lost Empire. Out of the clear ass blue sky, and I still contend that they wiretapped the phone something so that they can get ideas from the people. Because there's too many times we people just can just be talking. Right. Hey, here's a cool idea. Next thing you know, it's on TV. Here's a thing. I'm like, you, you can't sit there and tell me this is all just based on inventors just come up with shit. Like, mm. I feel like they really are watching what we do because that was too coincidental, <laughs> and I got no damn credit. Nothing. No damn royalties. Not even a visit from Mickey Mouse. No, not even. <laughs> oh, -ho, nothing. I ain't none of that. Like, I got a certificate that said pretty much thanks for trying. You didn't win with a signature from LeVar Burton, which may not have been signed by him. I don't even know. Yeah, it could have been <laughs> Sam. And Robert Maplethorpe. Another guy I dig. Okay. What about him? Well, with my photography, I'm not really inspired by too many other photographers. I just kind of do my own thing. Mm -hmm. But I liked him when I looked him up in college. He had to do um, a project for my photography class. He's like the only name I knew. <laughs> right. 
I always heard like he was a nut, so I was just thinking it was gonna be some crazy like kind of Jackson Pollock looking photos or something. But no. He did beautiful work in black and white film. Hmm. Like high contrast and it inspired me for a time. If you can go on my Instagram, which is at mahogany underscore megatron, you will see some of my earliest works photography. I have like a couple of series on there that were just black and white images I took downtown Philadelphia. Um, because I had the one series is called Where About Walnut, and it's about Walnut Street and me just kind of exploring the city after I graduated from college. Mm-hmm. And pretty much just trying to find the beauty in the mundane. I always like photography where they just take regular objects like a table with stairs, like a glass, and can make it look beautiful. Because it's easy to make something that's supposed to be beautiful, beautiful, like a sunset, flowers, an attractive woman or man. That's easy. Making something simple like a rock, a pencil, look beautiful, mm-hmm. that, that takes creativity. Right. So I was stretching my muscle with that. That was my only outlet at the time because I pretty much given up painting and drawing. That's why you you go back to it though. Yeah, I'm trying to get back into it. It's like finding the energy. Mm-hmm. We come up from work, it's just like I don't do anything else besides sleep or right. watch TV or something. Right. So I'm trying to tie it into it being a joyful time. Like, that's why I always thought was cool about you was like you could just keep making work seemingly without stop. Like you just have this. Like, what's the word? This, um, like, like from, not profuse, it's like you just kind of are able to just churn out works. And all my professors in college would say, Oh, if you, you can't think of anything to draw, just make something. And I'm just like, Make what? I'm stuck. And every time I saw you, even when I was in school, you, you were doing something. Every time I saw you, it was like, Oh, I'm doing this drawing, that drawing, that drawing, that drawing. Like, you had like, yeah. collages and drawings. Now you're doing painting. It just seemed like you had a never-ending store of work. And here I was, puttering along. I had, like, one half-baked-ass drawing that I would just be stuck on for months and then say, fuck it, and mm. just stop. Well, I think everybody's different. Everybody has a different creative process. There's this artist. He's a current artist. that mm-hmm. I. He's one of my favorite ones at this point. His name is Don Colley. Mm-hmm. He's an artist, I think, from Chicago. And he does these beautiful illustrations of people he draws plein air essentially and he uses the, the that's how I discovered him was I was looking up art materials on YouTube a few years back right and he was like an artist they had pegged to be like the spokesperson for the Faber-Castell pit artist pens mm-hmm. and he was just like saying yeah they're great and they're awesome and, you know of course the first thing you think is like oh that's a sales pitch but no, you see him live on there drawing. Like his routine is like he just rides the train and walks around, just kind of chills out and watches people and just draws them like a, like a court artist or something. And he does these beautiful renditions. He, he gets these old ledger books from like the 30s. Mm-hmm. And I guess the paper in there is a certain kind of paper he uses because it's okay. like really thick. I don't think it's like, I don't think it's moleskin. I think it's like, um, I know one he said he uses was um, watercolor paper. Okay. He said he uses that because like, it absorbs it pretty well and it has like this wet painterly look when he's finished right because when he draws it doesn't look like a marker it looks like a paintbrush with like right. a marker's ink like it's almost like he took like the refill bottles from Copic and took a brush and just like painted this shit like mm. that with ink like it looks like an ink painting but using a pen because it's like a brush tip pen he uses right and he was, he'll mix that sometimes with like colored pencils 
to get like a certain look where like it looks soft but solid but still wet and fluid. Like it, it I have to show you when we're done because my yeah. phone is charging. But bull is nice. I I keep asking like, what are you doing? Because I use the same exact markers as you, and mine just looks like a heavy, thick ass clump of ink. But when mm-hmm. you do it, it looks like a beautiful, like illustration. Right. What what um? We got anything coming up that people could look out for? Any photography, art stuff coming up? Photographic, I don't know. This is approaching the time of year where it gets a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. I tend to be more active in the spring and summer because it's warm. Right. I'm hoping to get into, I guess, some more night photography. Because I'm trying to get my work in the galleries now and get more into the public eye. Where can people find your work? My newest work is on Instagram. And you can find my work on there with the with the um, handle at mahogany underscore Megatron. I also have a website that has some of my older work. I have to actually update it. My website is blacktasticart.com. Those are the two main places you can find my work. Um, I mostly do photography. I also paint. I draw. In the past, I've sculpted. I've done a little bit of graphic design. I'm also a musician. Um, That's how I can talk with Al about Music because Al plays guitar, I think mm-hmm. piano as well, right? A little bit. Mm-hmm. I play the saxophone. Um, been playing alto most of my life. I yep. just got into tenor about two years ago. So there are some videos on Instagram of you playing actually. I tend to play swing jazz. I am, right. I use improv a lot. I'm trying to get better at memorizing songs, but so I'm trying to learn by ear, which is the hardest way melodies and certain jazz standards because I want to start playing in like jazz clubs or even right. open mics and if I play with seasoned musicians they have certain expectations right I played with seasoned musicians once at this famous jazz club here called the Deerhead Inn and okay. I went there on Thursday night when they have like all you can sit in and the environment was a lot more cutthroat than I thought like, you walk in there, like, they're already kind of on with drinking. Mm. So they go, okay, what you want to play? Give us a song. And I'm all, like, anxious. Like, I, 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 I don't really know because I, I don't really have any song memorized. I mean, we just got finished playing this song. Jeff, it's right, you want to play that song? Cool, let's go. And they just jump in and start playing it. And I had to, like, remember the damn melody. I had a little piece of melody I played for it. And then they're like, you want to do a solo? I said, yeah. And I'm asking them, how many bars? How many bars you want to play? <laughs> and I'm like, that's a recipe for failure. Right. If I go for too long, I'm that asshole who just wants to toot his own horn for an hour. If Literally. Go, and if I go too short, it's like, oh, he's not capable of playing anything longer. Right. It makes it seem like my skill is shorter than it may be. So I did it for, like a, uh, they said it was like a perfect amount, not too many bars, not too, not too few. But they were not helping me at all. There was no handhold, and it's like, what key? Right. I, I was like, what? What, is, what are the, the changes? What are we doing? Like, I don't really, I didn't really know what to do. Right. And they were just kind of like, whatever, sink or swim. And I didn't know that it was so direct that you mm-hmm. have to be on your shit. Right. Because when I played open mics here in school, it was very low pressure, low stakes. It was like, oh, whatever, I can go up there, play for two minutes, fiddle around make up a little improv melody on the spot and people are like wow that's something great you grow on guys who've been playing longer than you've been alive on this earth they're like nah I want you to play real ass songs mm-hmm. 
Hey, Star, you want you no names? <laughs> like, I want to play things that used to be. I want to play um, yeah, or, or, orthology. Go. Like, I can no imagine shit. it be like this, like. Not, not musician nightmare to walk in there and the whole band be like, okay, Cherokee, go. I'm like, Cherokee who? Yeah. Cherokee what? <laughs> and that's the thing. Yeah, I, I, I got to learn standards. I don't know any standards for it. I know like half of one song by Charlie Parker called Back Home Blues. Mm-hmm. That's it. My <laughs> high school music teacher will always compare me to Thelonious Monk. Like, you look like some musician. You couldn't figure it out for a minute. <laughs> And he's like, Thelonious Monk, that's it. <laughs> I'm like, you mean the autistic piano player? I look like him? Word? Oh, I didn't <laughs> know he was, he was autistic. Because <clears throat> like, the way he played was kind of like offbeat. And he was kind of like socially awkward and kind of off. He, I mean, he always So the theory seemed... is like he must, he must have had like Asperger's or something with him. He wasn't quite huh. neurotypical because the way he, was, he would move and interact was kind of like... I didn't know that. Wow. I mean, I just thought he was just... An artist. Who I could be, I could be weird, wrong, you know, but you know, that's why I heard. We're all kind of weird artists. So. I could have been like a cool musician that got women left and right. No, I was like the one no one knows about unless you play jazz. <laughs> but if I say Charlie Parker, people know that name. Oh, yeah, no, I've heard of him. I heard of John Coltrane. Yeah. Like, if you start naming like deeper names, like Art Tatum, who? No, oh, yeah. Jerry Mulligan. Um, fucking like, y'all know, um, Dizzy Gillespie, what about yeah. Chet Baker? Like, there's like Clifford. But that's, yeah, well, yeah. Here, the, the thing with a lot of it is that, yeah, everybody knows Dizzy Gillespie, but ask them to name one song of his, and they can't do it. Salt peanuts, salt peanuts. Yeah, that, that would be the like, that would be the, like the, the easiest go to, but most people like. Montega, They know him like from his cheeks. Yep, and which the, is the one is weird, broken yeah, bell up in the air. Yeah, no one else does that. Bent ass trumpet. Yep. I'm like, why does anyone else do that? Because I figured it would be like an homage to Dizzy, but no one ever says, "Give me a bent trumpet." Because yeah. it doesn't change the sound. Apparently, he could hear it better. So I'm like, there are people with guitar players. They'll have, like, I want a guitar like BB King, and they make blue right. seals yeah. in different colors too. You can get a green Lucille, a blue Lucille, with the pickups and the F tone holes and all uh-huh. that. I'm like, they don't make like a Dizzy Gillespie series trumpet? Yeah, duh, you would think. Like, <laughs> with all his influence. I guess with guitar players, they, they, they feel like there's more of the magic in, is in the instrument itself. And other right. musicians feel like it's the musician who puts the magic in the instrument. Everybody knows, like, Armstrong, too. He's another one. What a like, wonderful world. House, yeah, I know that. Name. Yeah, they all, yeah. <laughs> Which is like, I I have a, I love and hate that everybody knows that song. I hate it because the dude has almost 80 years worth of material. Or, friggin' invented the jazz solo. Yeah, invented, invented the improv, singing. basically. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, the early recordings with King Oliver blow me away every time I hear them. Up through the 20s and 30s. You know, he watched Buddy Bolden play in the streets of New Orleans. So, like, and everybody concentrates on What a Wonderful World, and that's all he's given credit for now. But like in the, the last years of his life, like. Yeah. But at the same time, this was, like, two years ago on New Year's. I'll share this story as a nice closer. Um, I'm at my family's house, and we're watching the, the ball drop, right? 
like from in the in like the TV or like you yeah, actually the TV yeah the TV yeah right. TV um, watching the ball drop on TV so it's the whole thing you count the ball goes down boom yep. and it's, it's New Year's mm-hmm. and the Times Square starts to play music mm-hmm. and the first song like they well they play like the um like the one yeah that one I can't think of the name of it. And directly after that, they play Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World. Mm-hmm. And I lost it. I started crying right there. Because what dawned on me was, with all that happened, and then people may only attribute that one song to him now, he, there he is. He's still friggin' there. He's still there. Jazz is all but dead for the mo- in pop culture. And there's this poor old kid from New Orleans who's still there. Like, they haven't erased him yet. You know what I mean? And just, like, thinking about that and seeing it happen, I think it was New Year's of 2017, and I just lost it. I completely, I'm, like, losing it a little bit now. Like, that, the idea of that is so cool that, like, he's still there. He's still there. Respect the Louis Armstrong. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you have anything else you'd like to share to the foot pokes of the world? Jesus is black. Ronald Reagan is the devil, and the government was run by nine eleven. It's like the government responsible for nine eleven. There you go. <laughs> you heard it here, first folks. Thanks for doing the show, Dave. It was fun catching up, talking with you. AKA Blacktastic. There you go. Thanks, Stan, for doing the show, man. Thanks for having me. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Planet Shivers podcast. This production and others can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and archives.org. It can also be found with video content on the Albert Shivers YouTube channel. You can find even more content on Facebook at Albert Shivers Visual Artist and on Instagram at Albert Shivers. You can find Isaac Wilson's work on Instagram at when in zen that's when underscore in underscore zen thank you again for listening and don't forget to like and subscribe